0: Today on episode 34, I'm talking to the editors of The Bear, Joanna Nagel and Adam Epstein, ACE. Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training and coaching or some fancy degree in psychology, I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. What is going on, my people? Welcome to episode 34 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. I feel like it's been a while. I missed all of you. Uh, but you know what? I gotta admit, I've been just really, really busy the last couple of weeks. But no worries, we ain't going nowhere. Uh, and so it's just gonna keep on bringing you the most amazing guests and talking about some awesome shows that are out there. One of those being what we're talking about today, and that is The Bear. You can check out today on Hulu. And honestly, if you haven't checked it out, I mean, hit pause right now because there's going to be a lot of spoilers. Go watch The Bear and then come back because we're going to be talking to Joanna Nagel and Adam Epstein, the editors of The Bear, and just going to hear all about their experience cutting this show, which I got to say I I loved. And there's just some great editing in this one. And so we're just going to hear all about it today. And I want to say, uh, thank you to all those members of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community that submitted questions for Joanna and Adam. And definitely, if you would like to be a part of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community, you can join now. It's free by visiting hollywoodeditingmentor.com community. It's a great place, a great resource to meet like-minded people, get notified of post-production jobs that are out there, and also join in on Live virtual networking events. So make sure to sign up today. Again, it's free by visiting HollywoodEditingMentor.com/slash community. All right, so as you can tell, I'm pretty pumped about this episode. So we're just gonna jump right into it here with Joanna Nagle and Adam Epstein. Very excited here to have the editors of the hit TV show The Bear, Joanna Nagle and Adam Epstein here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Guys, it was great to have you here. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Very excited to be here.
1: <laughs> doing great uh, as well. Thank you so much for having us.
0: I just love The Bear. It's Such an amazing show and just, I mean, amazing work. Congrats. And I have so many questions. And like I said, this community also has a lot of questions for you. And I got to say, I learned about the show through the community. They were like, you got to check out The Bear. And I did and binged it. And wow, just amazing. Again, congrats. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it was
2: definitely a fun one to
0: work on. Yeah, I can't wait to hear all about it. And before we get into it, though, I want to hear kind of, first of all, your path to the to editing chair I think uh for both of you what it looks like is that you kind of started first in in unscripted content and made your way to scripted sure yeah I mean I always loved like making little videos growing up to go
2: way back like I have such fond memories with my siblings of like messing around with the video camera starting to bring things into iMovie and just always loving that process and then I went to NYU for film school and took a class where we actually were shooting on film and then editing on a Steam Deck, so it was literally like cutting the film, taping it together, and then playing it through the projector. And that's when I was like, this is where the movie's made. Like, this is so cool. So that just made me fall in love with editing and decide to commit to that fully. Um, so yeah, that was that was when I really found that passion fully. And from then on out, I worked at SNL for a year as an intern and then worked there. And then my first job basically out of school was working for Senior Post because I met Josh Senior Uh, through a mutual friend, and he had just started a post house, it was this little company in Brooklyn in Dumbo. And I've been working with him ever since and grown the business become a co owner of the business, and started out cutting just little, yeah, unscripted videos, branded content, music video type things, interviews, and that led to some comedy specials. And that led to editing Rami as my first scripted show. And then from there led to the bear Big Math, Human Resources, a couple other scripted shows, and I love it. I love cutting TV, and it's so much fun to, you know, just have the wealth of performances that I've had in these shows. Very grateful for that.
1: I'm just so jealous that you actually got to cut real film at some point.
2: My God. <laughs> it definitely made me appreciate Undo a lot more. I was like, oh, you really got to be deliberate with your cuts. But um, yeah, <laughs> every. So-
1: every- Every choice, very important.
2: Exactly, yeah. But it was it was very cool, but tedious.
1: <laughs> um, well, similarly to uh, Joanna, I started out, um, you know, as a kid, just really doing, um, making very silly, usually skate videos um, with friends. And this is, you know, when we were still shooting on VHS. This is, you know, before even mini DV. So the first thing that I really kind of remember was in high school, um, a friend of mine, she had um you know a dual vhs deck where you had a source deck and a record deck and one day she was kind of showing me how to cut stuff up or shoot it in camera and then put titles on it and my my mind was blown i'm like this is incredible you can you can do anything um so i went to to ucla um i didn't go to the film school there but i worked on um a television show that they that they had there it was kind of a sketch comedy show um we were very lucky that they had um studio and equipment to really um learn to to make your own stuff basically and at that time you know anything that you would write you would shoot and also edit so it was uh similarly to what joe said was like oh this is where it gets made you know um i really liked the, the the kind of the flexibility and the power of that that final rewrite and being able to really to shape something um and then after school i started professionally in um kind of on-air promo um, You know, short form, already shot stuff, uh, usually for uh, cable. Um, and the thing I learned from that was the ability to kind of, a lot of times, you know, the footage you're getting for that wasn't that great. It wasn't specifically tailored for what you needed to do. So it was a lot about learning how to reappropriate something and use sound and use music to, to elevate something from that. Um, and then from promo, I went to kind of tra- traditional commercial post. Um, in Los Angeles and worked at, um, some great, uh, commercial houses. And that's, that for me was the real, my real film school. Um, you're working with great editors, great directors, um, that were still shooting on film at the p- time, but then transferring, um, to DigiBeta, uh, was what we were using then. And that really taught me, um, how to be buttoned up and organized. And, uh, you know, cause then you're dealing with like a telecine room where color correction costs a thousand dollars an hour. And we were doing, you know, cut neg lists. And if you missed a shot as an assistant, that was really not good. So it really, it really kind of forced a, a level of, um, just taking, taking the time and really being sure about what you were doing. And I learned from a lot of really great editors, um, and after that, I moved to New York, got very lucky to um, fall in with some people that were working at SNL. And I started working um, as an editor on the uh, the SNL um, film unit um, in 2009 with um, a couple of my friends who were uh, ended up directing there uh, and I worked there for 10 seasons and then... Uh, the great thing about SNL is you were always doing different, very different styles of things. So it forced you to kind of be able to really get to the nuts and bolts of like what made something what it was. So, you know, one day you'd be doing a, a, a French new wave style thing, and then you'd be doing something that felt like a Bravo promo. And then you'd be doing something that felt like, you know, um, of, of uh a wim wenders film or something um so that really helped with variety um and then very luckily like the network at snl as far as the people you meet they're all great and they go out and and do you know great things and i was um had some really solid relationships with that and that's kind of how i got in my foot in the door as far as scripted in long form i worked with um reese thomas uh and alex bono on documentary now and then chris kelly and sarah schneider on uh, the other two Um, And a few other shows and a a lot of that really came from the SNL relationships and then I had worked with Joanna and Josh senior on a couple projects before and I was just very lucky um, when they got the green light on the bear that they uh, gave me a call and brought me in. Um, Yeah, so just just follow those steps. That's it there's that's a playbook right (laughs) there. Well,
0: you know, what? I want to spend some time on this uh, because because, you know, uh, a lot of members of this community are trying to say break into scripted or trying to transition from unscripted to scripted uh i guess if you can share kind of some uh your experiences and maybe also some advice some tips for people as far as like uh, how to facilitate that transition say if you start working maybe in commercials promos you know reality and, and then eventually want to make your way to
1: Scripted. This is just a, a broad, overarching uh, thing for anything I say today. I would take it with like the largest grain of salt possible. <laughs> um, um, as far as like you know, direct plans or to do this, you have to do this. I don't think there's really ever a, a definitive path or answer, at least in the way that I found. What what I what I would say, at least for me, apart from you know being very lucky, and that luck is a real thing. Um, you know, when you do get a lucky opportunity, though, be prepared and be ready, and make the most of it to then make yourself ideally indispensable moving forward. Um, but what I would say is, what I found um, is so much of it is about the the people that you surround yourself with and that you end up working with. And I found that as opposed to looking at like, oh, I want to work on this show or on this project. It's finding like-minded people that share similar interests and are also um driven and want to just basically like want to want to make something together. And that kind of energy, I feel, um even if it doesn't start on like a specific professional project, that that energy then leads, especially if you're younger, once people kind of get older and start moving up they they you want to work with people that you know and that you're comfortable with and that allows you to kind of you know be pulled onto projects as opposed to cold calling or throwing out resumes um and uh you know trying to trying to jump in that way because people are always going to try to pigeonhole you um understandably you know there's only so much time and to, to to pick people and people are lazy as far as like well, I know that this person has done something like this before. So we're going to go with, we're going to go with that. And that's totally understandable. So I I found that at least for me, the, the best way, and this obviously isn't, you know, like a defined step, but it's just to surround myself with, with like-minded driven people that we all enjoy kind of being with each other, basically. Um, And that's again, luckily led, led to uh, some cool opportunities.
2: Yeah. I agree with everything Adam said and, I feel like I've never really applied for a job just with the resume in post. It's so much, who do you know, or friend of friend or connection to connection. So Adam's so right. Like building that community is so helpful because you might meet somebody. And then three years later, we're looking to hire an assistant editor. And it's like, oh, I met this person. We had a great conversation. We email once a year. Let's give them a shot. And, you know, like Adam said, like when you get your foot in the door, then it's it's go time and it's just being as fast as you can be and as organized and thinking ahead. And I feel like the best assistant editors are like two steps ahead of me and shout out to our assistant editors, Josh and Megan on the show. They were always like, Oh, well what about the sound design for this episode? Or have we thought about how this is going to impact that? Like just making yourself Crucial to the process and really trying to problem solve and bring solutions instead of issues. Like, that's something that's so valuable because once you make a great connection with an editor and assistant editor, you're going to want to keep hiring them. You're going to want to keep working with them. And then when the opportunity comes for the assistant editor to move up to editor, you know, we're going to support that 100% because we know what that person can do. And I think it's tough because the skill sets, the skill set for assistant editing and editing can feel different at times. But you know, the foundation and backbone is the same. It's like being organized, being communicative, being a team player, you know, being able to, you know, weigh in when you're asked about what's working in a scene or what, what needs need to be met. So I think if you can prove that you're really good as an AE and do that for a couple of years, the path to editor will hopefully you know, make its way, uh, make itself apparent to you with that group of people that you have built up trust with and built a relationship and can kind of keep growing with from there.
0: And it goes back to just the importance of just networking. And I can't stress it enough, just how important that is to not only get your initial opportunities, but also just to survive uh, this career. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's beneficial apart from just the actual getting jobs to me, like that's the, the best part of, of filmmaking, is the fact that it truly is uh, a, a team sport um you know you could it's cool now how you can have a camera and be kind of like a one man band and make your own stuff but the, the reason that I in, enjoy it is because you're dependent on everyone else who's part of the project and you're all elevating each other and playing off each other. Um, so, yeah, the more that you can make those connections. And the, one, one thing I would say, too, is the more questions that you can ask and not be afraid to to say what you don't know and to l- look to people that um, you kind of want to emulate or fall in their career and just reach reach out with questions um, or, you know, hey, I'm looking for feedback on this. Um, one of the bummers now when I was coming up as, as an assistant in the commercial world is um, we used to truly always be in the room with our editors and with the clients or with the director all always we might be on like a workstation kind of to the side but we were there at all times so so much of that apart from just the nuts and bolts of you know how do you cut something was really seeing the way that people would deal with other people in a room and be able to kind of um, negotiate the, the, the tone of the room and the energy. And SNL was really a place where, where that was important as far as, you know, trying to bring a sense of, of calm in something that could very easily get chaotic quickly. Um, so I would say, you know, software is great. Knowing how to cut something is great, but really understanding how to deal with people on an interpersonal level and um, how to work together is is just uh, just as important, if, if not more so. You could be the the fastest, best editor in the world, um, but if people don't like spending time with you and and talking with you and and working through stuff together, it's it's not going to make a difference. So you know, work on the gear and then and then work on uh, yourself and how you deal with people is really important
2: when you are spending hours a day with someone or even both, even when you're remote on Slack, you know, you want to be not the person who's bringing the mood down and, you know, keeping everything positive. And, uh, you know, I think that's such an important part is you work so closely on these (laughs) films and movies and uh, TV shows that it's tough to feel like the vibe isn't there. And it's funny because in another interview we did, Adam was like, I think that's why the bear is also so relatable because, you know, they're all trapped in this kitchen working together. And sometimes it can feel that way on a post team too. Of Everybody has their role that they're trying to fill and we're all working towards a common goal, but there's obviously hurdles that come up along the way too. So you want to make sure that you are adding to the team and yeah, just easy to be around and get, get how things are, are being put together.
0: No, I agree. I, I think that there's definitely a lot of connections with say being in the kitchen or just in general cooking, Uh, to editing and and post Uh, no doubt about it (laughs) absolutely
2: yeah yeah adam definitely was bringing this up in our last interview and it's like yeah you can have like a recipe you should just say it because you said it better but what
1: (laughs) (laughs) in in the sense that you know with 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 cooking or with uh editorial or any anything that's much more kind of like a gut-based art you know there you can have rules but at the same time so much of it in the moment is is based on feel and experience and um you know gut, like i said like like the gut instinct of it like you know, well why did we do this like oh, it just kind of that that felt right in the moment
0: you know you mentioned uh you brought up assistance i have a question here from uh, a member of this community Roderick sandoval uh kind of two-part question is what do you look for when hiring assistants and also what are your assistant editor pet peeves uh in terms of assistance i kind of
2: uh mentioned it before but uh it's really just being forward thinking and there is a lot of downtime or there can be a lot of downtime uh when you're an assistant editor and that could be a time to just kind of like sit back and be like great there's nothing to do but to be honest there's kind of always something to do whether it's cleaning up an old sequence or I like to have my assistants do something called line by lines which is basically taking every take every take of every line and putting them in a string out so that when I'm sitting with the director, it's really easy to be like, oh, let's look back and see every line of Carmi saying, you know, <laughs> like, what's the car? Like, where's my knife, you know, and so you have it first in every close up, then in every wide, then in every over the shoulder shot. And that's something that's really tedious and can be something that um, could be annoying when you're an assistant editor starting out. But I've noticed certain assistant editors just put their head down, do a great job, keep it organized, are innovating new things. They're like, oh, I realize if you put a marker here and label it orange for improv, that will be really obvious that this is different. Or I put a marker here because there was something really funny that happened on set. And that's the stuff I feel like that sets apart other assistant editors because they're thinking about what will go into the cut, what will make the story, what will be helpful, and even just picking up on those things. That just shows that they're already on the path to being able to edit something themselves, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, I would say just like making the most of your time, thinking ahead, anything that you can do to like make our lives easier as editors will, you know, be very appreciated on our end. Um, whether that's playing sound effects, starting to do some temp VFX, I mean, that's something that's hugely helpful. Um, and yeah, just going back into sequences and also like Adam said, looking at it and asking like, Oh, why did you do this? I noticed that this happened. Like if you're picking up on the little things, like you have this wealth of information at your disposal, obviously wait till a good moment, but like ask your editor's questions so you can learn from them. Um, so yeah, I would say my editor pet peeves being like, Oh, I have... Nothing to do, and it's like a lot of times you should look for something to do because always, there's always, always. something <laughs> to do in a TV show, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so uh, yeah, I think I think that would probably be my my advice is make yourself busy, make yourself useful, and if you don't have anything to do, then be proactive and ask. Be like, I was thinking of doing this, is this a good use of my time, or is there something else I can help with? Because Sometimes I think Adam and I are just cutting and we assume that the assistant editors are doing stuff. So if you don't have something to do, make it known because I'm sure we can think of something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, ideally, especially now, I feel like when when I started out as an assistant, I knew a lot more of like the new nuts and bolts as far as like, Oh, this there's this new program that can do this in a better way than the older editors I was working with. So I love now as uh, you know, someone with much more gray hair than I used to have when, when uh, an assistant comes in and like, Oh, check this out. I'm like, I feel so old and dumb. And that makes me so happy because I want you to be, be pulling me towards the future with your knowledge that I just don't have like the time to really kind of be up on top anymore. So that I love. Um, my my main pet peeve would be probably when letting something that could be an issue sort of spiral to the point that it then really becomes an issue as opposed to um, being just very upfront about it being like a problem at the get-go like I personally am never gonna be I'm never gonna have an issue with like you letting me know that there's a problem with something, or that something's not working, or like, hey, just want to give you a heads up on this thing that's kind of blowing up in the background. I'm like, that's great. Thank you for keeping me in the loop. Let's let's deal with it or work on it together. It's it's when uh, and I, I I understand you know the the feeling of I don't want to like I don't want to make it seem like things are going bad. Like I would much being fully transparent and upfront. And um, and working through things together is going to be always be better than letting something get to a point where like now it's actually an issue. Um, so yeah, so just you know, and that just falls under just being as communicative as possible and just you know keeping everyone in the loop and and being part of the team.
0: Oh, well, great advice! There's some good information there for the community. Listen to these guys; uh, they know what they're talking about. I mean, but this all makes sense. And, it's, and I agree with you and so thanks for sharing that and i think that it's a good time now to jump over to talk about the bear again congrats on just some great work uh what a show uh i i finished watching it uh recently and, and i'm just like uh, i'm so excited that there'll be a season two so congrats on that as well what were the early conversations about setting the style or tone of this show maybe prior to working on it or maybe the first kind of you know early on when you started getting dailies what were those types of conversations say with directors and producers
2: yeah when i cut when i was cutting the pilot um with chris store uh you know i had never really seen dailies like this before that were so fast-paced and everyone's yelling over each other and we really didn't have to create a lot of that fast-paced energy because the way they shot it was a lot of doing the full takes, like there wasn't a lot of series. It was like, let's just get like the energy right in the actual take. Um, And before cutting the pilot, Chris Storer told me to go back and watch some like old Martin Scorsese films, like from the 70s, which was such a fun assignment because I also love his editor, Thelma Schumacher. And one that really stuck with me was Bringing Out the Dead, which is this crazy movie where Nicolas Cage is an ambulance driver and he feels like he's going insane. And that just really clicked with me because Carmi is also going on the spiral of having this job and these obligations but also just being so damaged and traumatized and having to kind of work up the energy to turn this place into something uh successful and well-run and efficient um so anyway that was a great kind of like first touch point um and seeing how they would have these crazy fast sequences but also just these long driving excuse me long driving shots that's something that really came through in the dailies as well and um adam and i have talked about how a lot of people praise how fast-paced and frenetic the show is and that's a huge part of it but also we really wanted these long slow emotional moments to hit too so it was kind of about finding that balance where people could catch their breath and check in with the characters but also feel like they were wrapped up in this crazy world um so yeah i think that was a lot of the first conversations and chris also initially gave me a playlist of like 40 songs with all these different tracks that he had pulled and it was all over the place it was like jazz movie scores rap you know soft rock and so that also very much set the playlist and I just like kind of from the beginning started throwing in tracks and a lot of them changed and we ended up even overlapping some of them to create this weird layering effect but I think because we always knew it was going to be a loud show especially in the beginning the pilot was going to just like wham be in your face right away throw you into this world Um, really creating that sound bed and playing with the music as soon as possible to help set that pace was super helpful.
1: Well, I was really lucky as as someone coming uh, you know, in after Joanne had already cut the pilot because I came into something having this just this incredible base um to to use as a reference and a jumping off point. Um, you know, what what they did, you know, starting from scratch and really building that up uh is, is just incredible. Um so the main things that I took from um that the initial pilot, it was less you know specific uh, moves or speed. It was the way that they went about like style was reflective of tone and emotion and story as opposed to just being there for like flash for this the sake of itself you know it wasn't fast because oh it's cool to cut fast it was fast because we want to show what like what's in carmy's mind right now we want you to feel exactly as as screwed up and frenetic as as he's feeling right now and then you know in in the quiet moments we want you to feel that uh, kind of where he's at now and and the overall journey, um, so having having that uh, as something to kind of to lean on um, before I started was just so hugely helpful. And, and then, like you're saying, over the course of you know building out the rest of the season, it was a lot of um, everyone together kind of finding um, like a, a middle ground between you know maintaining the pace that they had set up in the pilot. Um, but then also feeling the kind of the, the big picture macro narrative that uh, Chris and Joanna Kahlo, the other showrunner um, and the rest of the producers had kind of plotted out. And that was, that to me was one of the coolest things, the way that if you look at the, it, it's so cliche now to say, you know, that it feels like a a long movie, the series feels, you know, it's not, it's a season of TV, but it's like one extended four hour movie. Um, and I wouldn't say it's, it's that literally, but that being said, there are sections in the way that the the season as an overall arc flows that do feel a lot like that. You know, you have your first couple episodes that are really just the punch opening of the film and just, it's dr- it getting you right there. And then over the, the rest of the narrative arc of the season, um, the, it takes like a, a, a macro level in the way that kind of pace happens from episode to episode. Um, so finding Finding that rhythm and, um, you know, watching the episodes that Joanna was working on and then, you know, kind of changing what I'm working on kind of based on that and then her looking at my episodes and changing things based on that. And it it let it be a nice uh, arc, but then also kind of feel cohesive, ideally. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, just to piggyback off what you said, it was like we started from this place of like insanity and it seemed like every episode it was like things got like a little bit like smoother and a little bit like slower pace like we definitely wanted to show throughout the course of the season like oh they're starting to figure this out like that was important to not just make it like you know cranked up to 11 like the whole time it was like no they are making progress and there is some backtracking but like just finding that rhythm was like you know important to the overall arc of the characters and i think the watchability of it too was that you want to feel like these characters are growing and not just going to scream at each other for four hours straight there's a lot of that but it's not all that well i
0: gotta say though i mean i you know watching a couple of these episodes i mean i it was exhausting i mean I, i felt like i was running a marathon i mean and i don't mean that in a bad way i'm just saying like i mean and this has to do a lot with the with the editing right i mean it was just like wow this is like i i feel tired right now right and but then those you have those moments where these intimate conversations Happen And it's like, oh my God, this is so relaxing. And it's just, I'm, I just had these, a lot of reactions, like almost physical reactions to to the shows, which is, it made it just a great experience.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember one of the like first really, really long shots in the series is probably when Richie talking on the phone to his daughter. There's like that two shot in the car of him and Sydney. And I remember, I feel like that was the first time that like I really, really let like a clip just like play out. And it was also like the first moment that we're seeing Richie in a new light. And it just felt like such a breath of fresh air. And we actually had two angles on it. And originally I was cutting back and forth. And then Chris and Josh senior, one of the EPs was like, we should just like live in this, you know, let's just let it play out. And it was totally the right call to just like, you know, let it go. And there was parts where I was like, Oh, we could lose this dialogue. And it was like, that was so not what it was about. It was about just like sitting, having a breath to sit with this character that, so far has been extremely unlikable and build some empathy for him. And then that leads into the sequence of him finding the letter, um, from Michael, which he ultimately decides not to give to Carmi then. Um, but that was just like a moment where it was like, okay, let's like catch our breath before, you know, getting back into the business of the kitchen and it was such a relief. And I think really like added layers and textures to these characters that so far we only knew in this one place, which was in the kitchen yelling. Once we started like expanding that, it was like, okay, now we're actually starting to connect with them a little more and they become more well-rounded.
1: And it's, it's so great to see, to really be able to see talented actors act. Um, and that to me, like that the dichotomy of of styles in in this series, I, I think really makes it feel fresh. In the sense that you have these extremely, not manufactured, but the filmmaking of like the, the fast cut, you know, hyper montage moments, it is manufactured in the sense that you're putting together, you know, a lot of little things and there's a ton of sound design and that as a stylistic uh, tool is awesome. Um, But then to have the other side of that be like, basically you're watching a piece of theater. A lot of times it's, it's two people sitting down with a locked off camera, a locked off camera and just talking for five minutes. Um, And that especially when they're really magnetic compelling actors that really know how to get to the emotion of a character and and to really perform an arc. Um, and they're also, you know, very pleasant to look at <laughs> on on screen. Um, that's a, a great thing to be able to kind of just let that live in the moment as a contrast to, you know, the much more editorial driven chaos. Um, yeah, I just I really love that balance.
0: Yeah, I felt it was just a very immersive experience. I mean, I I felt I was working in that kitchen and then when they would maybe, some character would, uh, you know, go out, maybe take a smoke break. I felt I was out there having a smoke and like having, like just taking a break from the chaos of that kitchen. Yeah. I've,
1: de- I've definitely heard from friends who don't smoke or are trying to smoke less that have said like watching the show made them want a cigarette so bad
0: yeah i actually was having this conversation with someone yesterday i'm like i was craving a cigarette last weekend
1: uh, <laughs> and- yeah which i'm not I- sure to, i'm not sure to say <laughs> thank you or to apologize like I don't know, sorry
0: let's talk about the music uh some just great music in the show it's a huge part of the show and from episode one i think at it the it, it ends with pearl jam's animal uh pearl jam is my all-time favorite band, I was like, hell yes, I'm on board. This is amazing. But uh, there's one question I want to have. Well, I want to know about the, just the music selection process, but also, at the beginning of one, uh, when you use uh, new, new Noise from, the refu- from Refused, and I, I love that band, and it's a great song, but you only use the intro to that song, and me knowing that song, it's like, oh yeah, it's going to kick in. And it never does. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, come on, I want to hear it. And it just never does. So you're just looping it. <laughs> and it's just kind of driving me crazy, right? In a good way.
1: But they, that, <laughs> that answers your own question. It, like, yeah. it, it makes you uncomfortable because you're anticipating something and you're like, oh, now I feel all wound up and there's no release. Perfect. There you go. That's exactly.
0: Yes. 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 Yeah. It worked, and it was awesome. But, uh, anyways, maybe just uh, speak about the the music because it's just it's just great. Like I said, there's so many genres, and, and it's just awesome. I mean, like, how did you? I guess go about picking the right song for for those moments.
2: Yeah, well, Chris Stor, the creator of the show, and Josh Sr., one of the EPs, were the music supervising team. Um, and then we had a composer, JQ, who also helped us fill in the gaps and created some really awesome moments. He created this like droning song that begins, I guess we call it a song, track, um, that plays in the beginning, that like literal bear nightmare. Um, and I definitely was stealing that to use in other places. Um, but yeah, the Refuse track was like so fun, because I think I extended it the first time. And Chris and Josh were like, "No, like we we should just cut it off here, and we can reuse this part. But like, we should leave people like wanting more and just feeling like unsatisfied." Basically, it was like welcoming Carmen into this world. Um, And the original, like the first, I guess like I should look back and see. I think it's like four minutes. um, The opening was actually supposed to be different scenes and we basically condensed it into one montage. So it was supposed to be like he cooks and then he goes and gets the jeans and then he goes and sells the jeans for meat and then he goes here. And instead we kind of like shoved it all together, introducing Ball Breaker and the tournament and all of the things Carmi is doing and we basically Chris was just saying we should just throw them into this world and not even give too much context and just see what a day in the life of Carmi is like and it should be horrible like it should be overwhelming and it should be fast-paced and there should be no release so um that first montage I spent so much time cutting it and it's like one of my favorite things I've ever done because there were so many different elements and we had in the family photos and then the People of Chicago, which was so cool. Um, But yeah, there's even parts when like uh, Richie and Carmi are screaming at each other in the kitchen where we have two different songs playing and whichever one, whichever person is speaking, like dictates what music you can hear louder. And it just creates this feeling of uneasiness that, you know, you can't even put your finger on, but that's just like, you know, encapsulates the feeling in the kitchen of like, who's in charge? Who should we be listening to? Things just feel chaotic and wrong um so yeah chris and josh really drove the process of picking songs throughout and then you know we'd audition them and move stuff and it was so fun to bring the refuse song back in the finale because it was like oh man are we back to square one it's this moment when coffee basically has like a breakdown it's like oh everybody remembers that little sting from the pilot so it kind of just brings you right back to where you were um in a great way
1: yeah and and we as far as as far as josh and chris um being the music supervisors it was just really advantageous and, and lucky to have the people who it's it's not like you're bringing in like an outside music supervisor who oftentimes does a great job but it the the project and the thought process behind it isn't in their heads the same way it is if it's the the creator and the ep who have been having like these thoughts about music you know since before like the, the scripts even existed um so to be able to have like that that connection, especially with like a lot of diverse songs and things where a lot of times like I remember at the end of episode six, it, for a while I had in there uh, like a, for lack of a better term, a cooler track. It was like this this uh, car seat headrest thing. It was really cool and it built in a certain way to the climax. And Josh is like, we're losing that. We're putting in a John Mayer song. <laughs> I'm like, no, we're not. It's like, yep, trust me like we're going to do this John Mayer song. It has this like eighties vibe. It's like hopeful. I'm like, all right, fine, put it in. And then after watching it back a bunch, I'm like, yep, this is better. This is right. This is, this is much more the vibe of the show. And, you know, a lot of people have said it's kind of like dad rock, which is sort of a lazy way to describe it. But then you think about the characters, like what would these, what would Richie have in his car when they turn the car on? You know, they put in this, the great counting crows track. And so it's, i like how it went away from being like you know find an artist you like go to spotify radio find a b-side of something that like sounds familiar but you haven't heard before and be like wow groundbreaking i like how it's like right right in the middle of of familiar um but then with a twist and then kind of maybe playing against expectation sometimes but then like you said with animal at the end of the pilot there's nothing wrong if you have the resources to get it, having a song where like the second you hear it, you're like, hell yeah. Yes. Like that's great. And I think, I think oftentimes in the attempt to do something, uh you know, cool or interesting, you we can sometimes get away from the fact that sometimes you just want like a, a shot of something that, you know is great and will kill. Um, so it was really cool to play with that balance and and to have those guys uh, really leading the way.
0: Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about episode seven review. I mean, what a beautiful episode! I mean, the directing, the, the blocking, the performances, the the little details. Uh, I remember watching it, and you know, um, I have you know I have, watched, I have surround sound, and uh, I kept hearing. I guess the 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 machine that's printing out the tickets, right, or, or the beeping non-stop i'm all like what the hell like i didn't know if it was the show or if it was like my the the house like something's going on in the back
2: <laughs>
0: but it's relentless right and it's just uh i mean just chaos throughout that whole episode um and th- and spoiler here but that moment where she gets stabbed i mean i just i mean I let out the biggest laugh and it's just like what is happening like i mean <laughs> anyways just talk about that episode, the the approach to it, the conversations uh, about it. Obviously, um, it's one shot, at least what it seems like. Um, but that's just amazing performances there, and just the blocking, the directing. I mean, wow.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting because like that uh, that episode required the least editing or the least conventional editing for me because it is a true oneer. We like may have hit a cut to like switch performance, but it's a true oneer, like you know through and through. Uh, which is amazing. I think they did a full day rehearsing and then just a full day filming and they filmed it five times all the way through. And there's a testament to obviously the directing, the blocking and the acting that they pulled it off. So besides the Chicago montage, which we spent a ton of time figuring that out in the beginning, it was mostly just once we picked the take, um, we did so much temp sound design on that episode, just because Chris was like, well, I want to make sure that we can like sustain the level of intensity and it- didn't feel that way just from the production scratch. Um, so I had so many layers of audio of layering kitchen sounds. And that was something that Chris was very, um, felt very strongly about is we should cure that ticket machine once it starts, it just keeps going and keeps going because he, he has a lot of chefs in his orbit. His sister is a chef, Maddie Madison, who plays back on the show is a chef in real life. And he told me about how he talked to them about how they'll have nightmares or dreams where they just hear that ticket noise. So I think it's a very haunting thing for people who work in kitchens. So he was like, "We want to hear that in the mix," um, and we added in a couple of ADR lines too of just wanting this to feel like a ticking time bomb of people saying, you know, ten minutes open, eight minutes open. Like you really wanted to keep track of like this bomb is about to grow off, about to go off, and. To go back to what we were talking about earlier, like, all the episodes before that, kind of each episode, it's like they're getting things together. Yes, they have obstacles, but the end of 106 is that John Mayer song where it's like, okay, they figured it out. And then 107 is like, oh, no, they haven't. Like, we're back to square one. Carmi is being the most horrible version of himself. Sydney and Marcus are also, you know, showing these kind of uglier sides. Um, So... It was so fun, uh, first of all, just to watch because I was like, they nailed it (laughs) from the beginning. And then also to think about, okay, how can we heighten this even more? And Major, our sound mixer was like, this is incredible to get this to begin with because I just had so much more time to put into the sound design. And then he just ratcheted up to the next level. And speaking of music, also they used this live track of this Wilco song, which was so fun to time out exactly when it should hit. And I think we figured it out so that like the audience comes in right on the credits. And that's like the first time we cut to black after the one And that should also just feel like a, okay, exhale. We're like out of this crazy marathon that just happened. Um, so yeah, that was, it was very cool to kind of see that come to life and figuring out the ways without cutting picture that we could still escalate, you know, the tension and make you feel like things are just spiraling out of control.
0: Yes. I mean, certainly. I mean, it's like, this is crazy. This is nuts. Like when it was, <laughs> something's going to happen here. I mean, like you just it, it, you said, there's a ticking time bomb and it's just like relentless. It's like, I mean, just, yeah. I mean, truly beautiful. I got to say.
1: It was, it was great because, because that was one of Joanna's episodes. Um, So I just got to see it develop as a fan, basically. And The funniest thing though, is always like she's saying, as far as the sound design, there would just be like, we were in Slack all the time, kind of either giving notes or chatting through stuff. And Josh senior, the EP would talking about one Oh seven, usually in Slack would just be like more, more. <laughs> Just, yeah. More sound design, more dishes, more yell, just more, 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 and like I'm watching, like more where it's like it's wall to wall. And be like, nope, just more, just keep throwing more on it. And like, it's like, eh? add a
2: phone, add
0: the dishwasher, add this, and I was like, all right, man, like, all right, let's go, it let's crazy. go. But it, it, it helped, it made a difference. It worked, yeah. Like, it crazy. It's no, it definitely worked. I have a question here from another member of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Community, Jay Lee Glasburn. Says, there's so much to love about this show, but one of my favorites was the extreme close-ups, beauty shots of kitchen life, food, gear, dishes, etc. I'd like to hear their philosophy of using those shots to create pacing, world-building, and
1: storytelling. Maybe, Adam, uh, this one's for you. Great question. Um, we're really lucky to have just a massive uh, B-roll um, resource that that they shot. They spent... Um, so there's a whole for for like the, the cooking of the beef, for example, there's a whole process that that goes through and they shot basically the full beef process like five times or something like that. So we had, you know, multiple hours of just beef being cooked and then multiple hours of, you know, just dirty kitchen, clean kitchen, and then Chicago night, Chicago day, um, sunrise, sunset, cars driving, like a real massive uh, library to pull from. And the nice thing with that was um you could you could use it in ways that would maybe replace and bring a little more uh story and style and and vibe than traditional transitions or traditional establishing shots a lot of times of, of course within the scene you know if Carmi's going to the oven and pulling it out it's great to have the insert of you know the close up of the food or the close up of the knife to be able to kind of either jump time or or ramp up pace but then also having so much great b-roll Um, For between scene transitions, um, like I was saying, as opposed to just, you know, it's very rare that we would just have a shot of the beef exterior before we went inside, before we went somewhere else, much more common to, you know, last line of the scene, and then five seconds of kind of quick sound design heavy cooking montage with a zoom in on the clock with like the sound of that to really to to basically say like we're still here stuff's still going crazy time's still a factor um but now we're kind of on to the next thing so it was just a really a really great tool to be able to use almost in like an ASMR way um to an extent as far as you know I see a lot of cooking videos just on you know on TikTok or or Instagram of people just making dishes and it's that kind you know chop sizzle rip like that 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 type of sound rhythm um yeah it's just a, a great asset to have
0: it seems that a lot of this stuff was was planned there was a maybe to say a clear vision of maybe how to use maybe or incorporate maybe these shots for example maybe the style of the show we're trying to do maybe the music and it kind of goes with i guess maybe your your shirt joanna you know fix it in pre right i mean like I think it's that's the beauty. Maybe sometimes of having, and I know things come up, right, and we then fix it in post, as they usually say, right. But I mean, it's there's a there's a great things happen. I think when you do have things, maybe a vision from the beginning, right? You pre plan something. And I think especially with like montages stuff like that. I think things that just kind of tr- turn out a little better there it just facilitates things in the post-production process was that the case here i think would you say overall with with the bear having just more of a clearer vision from the get-go and and what the things you guys you guys needed in post to create what you created
2: yeah definitely i feel like they you know chris and joanna the showrunners just like um understood the world so well and understood how much we should be checking in with you know The actual cooking versus the emotional aspects and like the relationships um but i think they also very smartly gave themselves a lot of wiggle room by filming so much b-roll like there were times where it would be like you know we haven't checked in with marcus lately can we add in like a montage of him baking here? Or, you know, I remember Adam talking about repurposing some of the Sydney cooking shots um, for like some cross cutting that happens in one Oh five. And because a lot of the times they're wearing similar things, or if you have close ups of hands, you can really get away with a lot of taking B roll from other episodes and adding in a breath or being like, let's check in with the kitchen. Um, So yeah, I think a lot of them were very specifically planned. Like the one Oh four beginning montage of Marcus and the donuts. There's, I could have done a whole episode just with the beautiful donut We were all there so much. Um, so that was something that was very specifically planned. And then we kind of adjusted accordingly based on, you know, what was there. But also the good thing about us starting to cut while they were shooting. I remember in 102, the montage of like Carmi cleaning up at the end of the night, Chris watched a cut and was like, you know what? I actually got a quick montage of everyone putting their like time cards or, you know, punch cards in their specific, like, um, I guess their folders or, you know, like slots. And so because they were still shooting, he was able to just pick that up. And it was a great little thing to add to the montage just to hit home that Carmi was there late. He was the last one working. So it was also cool being able to kind of do a little bit of that on the fly as we were putting together rough cuts and then, A lot of times, because the B roll was a little bit more ambiguous, we could shuffle it around as needed, um, which was just really helpful too.
1: Yeah, to to sort of make you know like a another lazy cooking analogy, um, whether or not like you know the specific okay, we're going to use this B roll here, this B roll here was more was more secondary than the fact that they were giving just great ingredients to be working with. So whether or not you knew exactly where you're putting, you're like okay, we have four hours of just a plus 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 material to be using so now it's the process of kind of talking through things and figure out where does this great stuff live so you know whether or not it was deliberately this is going to be here this is going to be here this is going to be here we knew that we just had such such a great source to be to be using and to be building with
0: oh awesome again congrats just uh on just great work i mean i gotta say uh it so far i think it's been uh, my favorite show this year and and just look forward to seeing more of your work. Uh, any parting words here for this community? Obviously, uh, got a lot of fans uh, of the bear, and they want to be doing what you're doing. Any advice here for the Hollywood Editing Mentor community that wants to be in the... Uh, people that want to be in the editing chair and do what you are currently doing.
2: The only other thing that I'd say is... I feel like we talked a lot earlier about really honing your skills as an assistant editor, but I would say make time to also make do personal projects work with your friends if your friend is shooting like a short film and it's no budget, but it's an experience for you to be editing, like try to make that happen. Obviously, we all have bills to pay and you want to be focusing on your career. But also those are the types of things that will enable you to be ready when the editor opportunity comes up. And I think it will also give you more empathy or understanding, uh, for the editor you're working with as an assistant editor, if you're cutting your own, you know, cutting your own thing, uh, and just understanding more of that process. And like Adam said, honing those skills of receiving feedback, figuring out how to problem solve, because when you're starting out, you can get a little defensive of your work maybe, and that's not really helpful. You know, obviously you want to stand up for the things you believe in, but also it's so much about collaboration and that's like a muscle that you need to build and practice and, um, even if you're not getting asked to work on a TV show right now, if you have opportunities for smaller projects, I say take them, make them work, and that that will only make you better as a collaborator and as an editor down the line.
1: Couldn't agree more. And and I would also say, especially when you're when you're starting out or when you're starting in a new area that you haven't you know necessarily been uh, spending a lot of time in before, don't be too precious or too hard on yourself about, about those first things. Um, I I know a lot of times when people start out like, okay, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make my first film or my first short. And it's, you know, this is going to be the best thing in the world. And we're going to put, this is what's going to make me. Okay. I'm of the opinion that when, especially when you're starting out, you should be like, let's make it, let's finish it. Then let's throw it away. And then let's make the next one. And then let's probably throw that one away. You know, I, I look at stuff that I worked on, Um, you know, not too long ago and I'm like, oh my God, it's, I, it's, what was I thinking? That's, that's that's so bad. (laughs) Um, but that's, but that's good because that means that you're, you're, you know, evolving and growing and, and figuring out ways to continue to, uh, kind of refine, um, what you're doing and where you're coming from. So I'd say, you know, put in as many paces as you can and don't take yourself too seriously and just, um you know, find good people that you like to work with, uh, to work with. And uh, the longer you stay in the sandbox, the more opportunities will come your way. And the more likely it is that, uh, you know, you'll get to where you want to going
0: awesome well some great advice there from joanna and adam and, and thank you uh for the great insight into the editing of the bear and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule here to to have a chat this friday morning you know again looking forward to more your work and of course season two uh but thanks again for being here on the hollywood editing mentor podcast awesome. thank you so it was a much pleasure it was really fun <laughs> great to talk to you if you haven't watched The Bear, what are you waiting for? Go check it out now. Such a great series. You can't miss it. So thanks again to Joanna Nagel and Adam Epstein for sharing some insight into the editing of the hit series. And thank you for listening to episode 34 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And please share this episode with anyone that is a fan of The Bear. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Stay safe, stay positive.